Welcome back to the Snack Walls Podcast. I'm Mike Roberts, your host, and we're here to talk about increasing and maintaining diversity in tech beyond the perks. While companies think they can lure people in with unlimited PTO and dogs in the office, we're here to talk about how you keep them. I'm going to throw it over to our special guest today. Can you, in a few sentences, tell us who you are and what it is that you do? Absolutely. My name is Mark Danziger, and I'm a regional director for C-Prime in their agile practice. C-Prime is a company that provides a lot of services to organizations that want to change. Um, and it, it sort of started at the grassroots level with sort of development, project management, and agile project management scrum teams. And we now are pretty deeply embedded in full stack, complete business agility type changing. And, um, and I love that we're talking about this because one of my passion projects is finding ways to create more agilists who are not kind of young, middle-class white folks. Awesome. So more women, more black, more Latinx. All the above. All those folks I think would be super talented and thrive in that kind of uh, work environment. So I'm hearing from some thought leaders that finding diverse talent is a challenge. What are your thoughts? It's very hard. Um, I recruit a lot. Um, at one point, I had about 75 people kind of in various clients in our team. And I work real closely with our talent folks who are very, very good at what they do. And I kind of put up a flag as I took the role that like, hey, you know, let's make sure that we see a bunch of women and let's see some people who aren't typical. And like, let's be open minded about who we filter in. And, you know, and they've worked really closely with me on it. And their basic response is, look, there's just not many applicants like we're not seeing a lot of people come knock on our doors and, you know, we, we work at it and, and it's, it's frustrating. And it's something I've seen as well. You know, I spent a long time as a, as a developer and then a manager of developers and then manager, manager of developers. Right. I'm, I'm a lot older than I look. And, you know, there, it was remarkable to run into a developer who wasn't, you know, a middle-class middle income. And again, I stress middle class and middle income because one of the groups that I think is badly underserved is just poor people in general. Sure. And, you know, I, and I want to make sure that, that, that we're not kind of walking by them, you know, to get to everybody else. And, you know, and that's kind of who you tend to see in the tech community. Um, my older two kids are both in tech in the Bay Area. You know, they grew up as upper middle class kids. One has a startup, you know, one works for, for one of the big tech companies and, you know, they're all aggressive about seeking diversity, but it's it's hard. It's difficult. And it's something you've got to cultivate. It's not something that's going to come knock on the door and present itself to you. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's the key is, you know, looking in the right place for a lot of folks and making sure that they're connecting with folks that have that network that they may yeah. traditionally not have access to. Right. So if you're tapping into a network that has that connection, then that can facilitate it. But if you don't, if you don't have any of those folks in your circle, you're starting from zero and it's hard for you to build up and get to inertia and get some momentum going. But it even goes, to me, it goes further than that, because what it starts with is it starts with kids who don't see people who have these kind of jobs. Sure. And who yeah, aren't open in their mind to like, oh, I, I could go have that job. I could totally do that job. That'd be fun. Um, yeah, absolutely. My daughter-in-law was very active for a long time in a group called Minds Matter which I think is a genius organization and we've been big supporters of it. Um, it goes out and it goes to really underserved, challenging secondary schools in, in LA and the Bay Area and a couple other cities around the country. 
and it finds that kid who's the freshman sitting in the corner who's super smart, right? Who tests up really well, doesn't fit in there at all, right? Is sure. is just trying to get through their day and has no family that's ever been to college, that has no family that's had a job outside of some low-level service job or if they're lucky enough to have a job at all. And it finds those kids and it tags them and it says, okay, if you'll give us three years of weekends, right, we'll mentor you and we'll get you into an Ivy. Right. And their track record is extraordinary. And it's like, we have to find a way to do something like that for tech. Absolutely. I mean, it's really, again, meeting people with where, where they're at. So yeah. I think that's a perfect example of that. So on that note, what do you think about the push to remove the requirement altogether of CS degrees from any software engineering roles? What are your thoughts I, on that? I, I kind of like it. Um, I, it. It's interesting to me that two or three of the best developers I've ever known were not degree developers. Um, I think that there's a level of, and, and I, I joke because I use the word hacker because I'm old in the old fashioned way of hacking, which is just developing, right? I'm just going to hack at this and make something work rather than engineering a solution. And I think that the risk and in, 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 a, in a company like Google, in a big company that has an engineering culture, that risk gets diluted because I can pull people into my culture and teach them the engineering part of it. Um, but I think it's a great idea. And I think the whole idea of gatekeeping at expensive universities is something that is about to be called into question. Um, yeah, I mean, that's 20% of the Harvard so. class <laughs> 20% of the Harvard class deferred this year. Yep. Um, so. and, and we're about to really question whether, you know, the huge investment that some people make in getting that credential is worth the investment of time and money that it takes. Yeah. And I, and I think some people have already started doing that. I think it's just more obvious and more, more crystallized now that the opportunity is it's very flat. Everything's online. So there's not yeah. even that distinguishing like, well, I get to walk onto a beautiful campus. You don't even get to do that anymore. No. So you're, you're at the stage where everybody's kind of playing with the same set of cards. And now we've got to figure out who actually adds the most value. And where is that? Where does that? Value That's lie? the question. And people have to learn, you know, what can I do to add value and what fits with me and where do I want to take it? And I Absolutely. think I'm excited. I'm, you know, I'm, I'm terrified by the moment in a lot of ways, right? Like everyone else is, um, sure. you know, but at the same time, I'm excited by the moment because I really do feel like we're on the cusp of a, of a big change and there's a lot of potential for it to be a positive change. You know, if we all yeah. kind of put a shoulder to it and, and we're lucky. Sure. So what, so on that note, I do some apprenticeship work in this space. Do you think an apprenticeship pattern would work for tech roles? Do you think this is um, something I think that's very much. Um, success? I think that, you know, I think that, that that the people I know who are great at tech, and I'm and I'm gonna, I'm I've been blessed in a lot of ways in that I've worked with some great, great, great technical people, um, much much smarter than me, way capable. That's why I became management was because I couldn't keep up with them, and um, and in seriousness, you know, they all had that bug in the beginning. It's a certain kind of problem solving bug that you. You know, they all took clocks apart when they were little kids. They all did that stuff. And, you know, and so I think that apprenticeship is a great thing to do. The other thing I love about apprenticeship is that what it begins to do is a lot of our jobs aren't formally describable. Right. I can't give you as a, even as a developer. Right. I can't give you an, a recipe that will let an AI write good code. Right. They, they write interesting and unique code. And 
someday they will be writing code, which will be a whole different problem. But but it's a lot that gets learned at the shoulder of people that you learn from. Sure. And so I'm I'm a giant apprenticeship fan, and we're talking a lot in, in you know in the agile community, which is related to but not the same as the development community. How do we create opportunities for apprenticeship? How do we grow people into these roles? Because normally what happens is they're like me, they take a senior, they bump along, they bump along, they do something, they fall in love with Agile, and eventually they drift over to Agile being their full-time profession. How do we find people who aren't that and grow them into it? Um, yeah, absolutely. That is a that is a skill set that is a very sort of like holistic. You've got to kind of have a lot of experience, I think, to yeah. be a good practitioner. And yep. um, and that's best gained, in my opinion, from working alongside of a master, right. having that mentor mentee relationship. So in their roles and their levels of the game, they're more open to other people. Um, we're doing. I have this passion project that we're just starting up called Agile Career Day. And, and I'll talk about it more at the end, but, but what we're trying to do is pull people in with the understanding, look, people who work as scrum masters really don't have to have a ton of experience and, and you can be very young and very inexperienced and, you know, and, and, and you'll be better as you get older, but it's a good entry level kind of role into this space. And you can be apprenticed under somebody who's more senior and can teach you. And so, yeah, I, I see a lot of potential in that. Awesome. So what advice would you share with companies that are looking to, uh, now that they have the talents, assume that they've done the hard work, they get somebody in, how do you retain diverse talent? The biggest issue that I see, there, there are two issues that I see in retaining diverse talent. And and I've, I've talked a lot to, to a bunch of you know people who fall into the diversity bucket, right, um, about what it takes to thrive. And, and one of the concerns is a general concern that really hits everybody, which is, Companies don't mentor anymore. Um, when you go to work for a company today, you're much more of a commodity than you are an asset to be nurtured and grown. And people who fit into the mainstream sort of bucket, right, who, who, who are, who are, and I hate to use the word tech bros because it's pejorative and I don't mean to be pejorative, but who are my kids? That's okay. Right? <laughs> but, you know, but, no, my kids, right? Upper middle class kids who sure. went to good colleges and are really smart. They build networks that sort of create the mentoring for them. Right. But when you're one of three people, you're one of the you're one of the three, you know, you know, gay people in a company, right? You don't feel like those networks are as open to you. Right. And so what the companies I think need to really do is I would work to establish uh, explicit mentorship. I wouldn't just target it on people of color or, or women or anybody else, because then it's sort of, oh, you need a mentor, right? You need a leg up. I'd make sure. it something available to everybody, but I'd put a real emphasis to those folks of like, hey, this door is open for you and right. we want you to grow and thrive. And let's figure out what it's going to take for that to happen for you. I like that idea of the concept of everybody should get that ability to grow within the organization and not have a stigma associated with it, right. but it's just like a culture of, Hey, everyone, everyone should be able to thrive. So we want to provide you wraparound support. What is it that we need to customize for your experience and have a mentor that can really help you level your game up as an individual. So I love no. that philosophy is awesome. I think it's really important. And I think, you know, and, and I, I laugh about, you know, snack wall thing, right? I mean, I've done a lot of work with various.coms and gained weight 
right? Because there's always the jar of M&Ms and I'm, I'm weak. Um, but, you know, but the reality is if I had a choice between jars of M&Ms and somebody who is going to develop me into a better professional, who is willing to give me an hour a week or half hour a week or some chunk of time and attention, I wouldn't blink at what I would think was important. Yep. Best perk ever. <laughs> so yeah. is like someone that working for a company that cares and has people there that want you to succeed, that want you to have their job and they're training you and grooming you for, for their job. So oh, no, I, 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 we train leaders a lot in, in what we do. And, and a lot of what we do is we try and train leaders in the idea that, you know, the classic phrase of a servant leader is somebody who makes leaders. And that, and that for you to be a successful leader, what you want to do is you want to make leaders. You want to create people who will take this on from you and take it further than you could go. And that's what success looks like to me. Um, I think it's possible. And I see people, I see people wanting to do it. I don't think that we have the muscle memory of how yet we're all kind of learning that. And it's a journey that we're all on. Well, there's a big shock to the system right now as well. So people are a little distracted by your current situation and it makes it a little bit harder to focus up and just be like, nope, the core of everything is still exactly the same. We just need to stay a little bit more distant from one another. And we need to be thinking about how can we collaborate online versus the way we typically do it in person. And, you know, it's shitty. But, but, but I'll take it a step further if I can. Um, so I've, I've done, got, done a lot of stuff outdoors, right? I was a, one of those kids who was in the mountains all the time, that nonsense. And, and then I, you know, played with some search and rescue people and did other stuff. And, and one of the things about being in, I call it, I'll call it a survival situation. You know, you're stuck in a snowstorm in the Sierra. You're not really worried about survival. You've got food, you've got shelter, but it's challenging. Sure. Right. That's when you need to really take care of your people. Right. The people that thrive in those circumstances or even survive in those circumstances are the people who circle up and say, hey, is everybody okay? Like, what do you need? Like, we're all in this. What are we going to get? What do we have to do to get through this together? And right now, for me, you know, and again, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna wave a flag and say, "Oh yeah, I do this every day." I'm like that kind of leader yet. But, but I will say that that I passionately believe that to be that kind of leader right now is going to be the difference between teams and departments and organizations that thrive and those that don't. Absolutely. So, who is someone like yourself? Because you are a great leader that you would <laughs> recommend to come on the podcast and talk like you have. Um, some detail about what we can be doing differently. I'm actually going to suggest a friend of mine, Michael David Cobb Bowen. And um, I'll, I'll do an intro email to the two of you. But Michael's, Michael's been in the tech world for a long time. He has, he has a lot of non, he thinks for himself, right? He challenges my thinking all the time. I, I walk in with a lot of, well, this is the norm. This is what everybody thinks. He's like, well, no, that's not true. Um, and I think he'd be an interesting guest for you. Absolutely. So he's on the radar. So Michael is on the radar. We'll see if we can get him on the program. So where can we find out more information about your company? Or this is, again, a time for you to share. So, you know, so our company is cprime.com. Um, we are in the business of changing other companies. We train. We can provide people to help. We come in and engineer transformations. We're very big on kind of the newer things that are happening in Agile around product agility and, and enterprise and business agility. Um, and it's great for me. It's a very satisfying gig because when I have a good month, 500 people's work life gets better. One last thing. 
if sure. you're going to have, if you have a company and if you work for a big company right now and you're interested in having an agile career day, which is where we'll pull together a bunch of agilists who are women and people of color and gay who aren't the mainstream, don't all work for me, don't all work for us, and present out to your people what an agile career can look like and why an agile career is exciting. Like reach out because I'm dying to do more of those events. We're doing a couple of them, but I want to do only 50 of them a year. So where where's the best place for them to reach out? Uh, best place is LinkedIn. Okay. And um, again, Mark Danziger, not hard to find. And uh, and now for the tough question, what do you got? I got the toughest question of them all. What are you snacking on? What's your favorite snack? Raw cashews. Nice cashews. They cashews. got they got a lot of uh, protein in them. But they also have lots of fat and like lots of carbs. So I know, I know, I know. And actually, more than a handful, you're, you're toast. Old, well, see, my old favorite snack was raw cookie dough. Oh, well, that's I, a lot too. Yeah, I can't, I can't even have it in the house. Like, I can't make cookies anymore because I just so have, dangerous. And I just, I, I'm embarrassed. I'm a grown man, right? I have grandchildren. Like, I should be a responsible adult, and I'm powerless. I'm completely powerless in front of cookie dough. No human is is powerful in front of people. I think it's everyone's we share that. See, this is this is the this is the bond of our common humanity. It is. It is. So thanks again, Mark. I appreciate you coming on the show and stay away from that cookie dough. Um, we bit. really appreciate uh, your feedback. Oh, thank you for doing what you do, man. Great. And uh, again, for those of you uh, who are listening or on interwebs, make sure that you like, subscribe, check out more episodes of our Snack Walls. Again, I'm Mike Roberts. Until next time, peace. The San Diego Code School is a proud sponsor of the Snackwalls podcast. The San Diego Code School is leading companies to tech equity. The tech-enabled apprenticeship program is a venture whose heart is to do a lot of social good and do good work. You can help San Diego Code School secure funding for change by hiring developers, bringing a team in to relieve your backlog, or becoming a program sponsor. You can visit us on the web for more information at http colon forward slash forward slash sdcs.io. 